I know my lines. I know what I'm about. Yeah. I know what it's for. I know <laughs> We're just waiting doing. for the spiel. All right, the yeah, spiel, here we go. Thanks for joining us today on Two Age Sojourner. We're a podcast that promotes Reformed Baptist confessional, Kleinian, Two Kingdom, and Millennial Pilgrim Theology. Kleinian Reformed Theology is awesome, and we want to explore it. We want to know what it means to be a Christian in light of the overlap of the ages and all that fancy stuff that I just said. And each episode is hosted by me, Michael Beckham, the pastor of GraceNet Community Church in Wellington. And I am a Baptist, I promise, except we don't have it in the name of the church. Um, but Nick is the pastor of Covenant Grace Baptist Church in Timaru, and Andre is the pastor of Bethesda Baptist Church in Felixstowe. And I feel kind of out and wish I'd put the word Baptist in. So you need to listen to Jeremy Casella. He wrote that little intro tune. Um, that is uh, Guide Me, O, Thou Great Jehovah, done with a new remake they've done some cool things with hymns uh that's one of my faves and um you can listen to them on uh spotify apple music go check them out um and we'll have a link there in our show notes check us out as well um i still need to do a little work on that page but two age sojourner.com it'll just kind of be the hub for everything give us a rating as well you know thanks for all the feedback that's coming through uh, we've had some very good feedback come through on and it's good to know one or two more people are, are listening to us or watching us on the <laughs> youtube channel that's awesome but um what was this guy's name let me just uh one second one second one second it's uh say, who else's parents are watching this <laughs> yeah no well i mean i don't think seth potter <laughs> is related to my mom or dad do so. some serious shout outs to keep the fans happy Dude, yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah exactly now, this is not some nominal uh, shout out this is uh this is a legit comment uh on our wealthy part two uh seth made the point that uh you know the um the guys uh, who are saying, let you know, when Peter says, you know, the promise is for you and your children, uh, Seth pointed out that, you know, they, that very generation had said, let the blood of Christ that they crucified be on us and our children. Mm. And uh, so it really point. it's a reversal of the, of the curse. And so I thought that was fantastic. And just yeah. another great example of the way that, you know, you really do miss out on the biblical theological riches of texts like that when you just jump to... Uh, looking for some uh, Pedobaptist proof text. So uh, anyway, more to say on that, and we have kind of covered it. We'll no doubt cir circle back on that one soon enough. Uh, but thanks, Seth, for that comment and for the, for the others. Um, keep them coming. Let's join the conversation and uh, join Brain Power. And uh, we trust that somehow we make it through to the finish line. Mm. Nice. Nice, Seth. I'm sure you mean? said it a lot better than that, Seth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was much nicer in your message. Apologies but. for uh, the fact that I'm going to have to switch this mic off and uh, sneeze and blow my nose and that sort of oh, thing. Oh, I've got a new trick. If yeah. you find yourself about to sneeze and yeah. you want to stop yourself, yeah. you rub this part of your lip here. Mm. 100% guaranteed. I've been or trying you take, you take these two fingers and you jam them up as yeah, well you as you can. Yeah, just ram them. Yeah, okay. But that's a bit psycho. <laughs> <laughs> but but if, and you can sort of, you know, get away with doing it sort of, you know, discreetly. You okay. can, you can, All right, well, I'll, I'll give it a go on the show. We'll see how we go. Okay, try. Right, you got cool. to get it right down there on that, on that top lip there. Usually when I try something like that and it goes wrong, it's just like, dude. It's nasty because I mean you've been holding it in. And it's this like, could be know. an elaborate prank, and I might just be trying to make a fool of you. Yeah, live. Well, I'm not too worried, you know, because we're on the screen, and, you know, all that social stigma. We don't have to wear masks and all that stuff, so that's good. But um, all right, so we're talking about Fesco's uh, argument for baptism. Um, great book. If you haven't got it, go get Water Word Spirit. Um, mm. by Word Water Spirit. Word Water. Word, water, spirit, <laughs> a reformed perspective on baptism. Um, loving what, I've, what I'm reading so far, and uh, we're getting, we're still in the church history phase. 
the really exciting bits coming up with the biblical theology uh, stuff where he updates Klein's argument. Um, so stay with us if, you, if you're if you interested for that. Uh, otherwise, let's tuck in. We, we sort of finished, uh, I think we were looking at the medieval period and we, did we just get into Luther or not? No. We no. looked at the medieval era as it climaxed in the Counter-Reformation. Oh, that's right. The Trent thing. Yeah. So now okay. we come back to the Reformation and we're going to look at Luther, Lutheranism, and yes. we'll see if we can get to Zwingli and the Anabaptists. Yeah. Oh, you should have been around for this uh, just before we started recording. Nick gave us this very inspirational, well-balanced goal. <laughs> uh, you know, we were going to spend so many minutes on this and then we're going to move on to this, at yeah. which we both belly laughed. Yeah. <laughs> it just does not happen. Does not happen on hey, our show. That ain't got never gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> this is the part of the podcast that always fast forward. Yeah. I'll just get on with it. Next thirty seconds. Uh, <laughs> that's exactly what I did. Right. It's uh you guys have to learn that there's more to life than just information. Right. Oh man! What? No, but like, uh, listen. I just want to get to the. I want to get to it before I start washing the dishes. It's so funny. I want to um, get to the concept. We had yeah. a guy uh, who started to come to our church. A really nice guy, um, and his wife and his family. They've come along and they started listening to our podcast. You know, and, and then he, you know, he heard me preach, and he's, he, you know, he said to me afterwards, "It's." Um, and he's probably going to be me saying this, actually. But anyway, he said to me, uh, <laughs> if he continues to listen all the way to this point, but he said, um, it's so weird <laughs> to listen to talk, uh, listen to you talk so slowly because <laughs> he's got me on double speed the whole way through. I remember I had the, I remember I had the um, same experience with John Frame. I listened to like all of his lectures. You know, I just I wanted to be because I'm, I'm, you know, wanting to talk with the guy in a knowledgeable way. So I just crammed on the plane ride to, to um, Orlando. I just, you know, just, I mean, all the way from New Zealand, I just lectured the whole time, you know, just running it on iTunes, listen to every single lecture that he had and, um, and just, you know, like super fast, double speed, maybe even a little bit over. And um, anyway, so it was, it was a totally freaky experience when I did talk to him because yeah. I, like I thought he had an like, accident or something. This you know? guy up. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was like, really slow <laughs> i got a fright and then i realized oh my goodness i mean you know because you forget anyway all right cool so enough talk let's stop so nick mm. can start listening to our podcast yeah there we go all right give us a <laughs> overview where are we at okay so we're starting in uh luther and lutheranism mm-hmm. okay and uh so basically two. yep chapter yeah. two right so Justification by faith alone has happened. We're in the Reformation, and this has direct bearing upon baptism. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and Luther is a pioneer who brings some unique aspects to the discussion, to the table, on the, on the issue of baptism. Mm. So um, just having a look at his view on the sacraments, uh, Luther was in the same vein as Augustine, mm-hmm. visible sign of invisible grace. Mm-hmm. But here's where his little spin came on it. So where patristic uh, theology focused on the grace of God in baptism, Luther focused on the word of God. And so the the, the contrast is between infused grace versus promise declared. So that's the Roman Catholic is the infused grace, and Luther is about the promise declared. And so here's a quote from Fesco. He says, For Luther, a sacrament consists in the combination of the word of promise with a sign, that is, it is a promise accompanied by a sign instituted by God and a sign accompanied by a promise. Mm. So now this is the issue. It's the word of God that is the, the operative 
uh, thing going on. And, and that's um, and that's important because it stays with Kelvin yeah. as well to some extent, and uh, you know moves us forward in the discussion. And really, you know, a lot of what I mean, I often say, you know, it's almost like until you get to the infant baptism part, I mean, there's so much you can you can agree with, you know, and and yeah. really enrich. It's almost like Baptists owe it to themselves to to get into this so, so as to understand. Mm-hmm. You know, much of what uh, gave rise to their own view, um, well, certainly in the Reformed Baptist scenario anyway. Um, but it's just, uh, you know, we need to look at this and see how it evolves as well as we go. So it's going to, it's gonna, much of this is going to inform Calvin's view. Yeah. So yeah. looking at baptism as a visible promise of the gospel, mm. he basically argued that it would be heresy to argue for ex opere operato, that mm-hmm. the thing works in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so he called it a Judaistic opinion. To believe that the ceremony can save apart from faith. Yeah. Mm. So faith, not the sacrament, was the instrumental means of justification and salvation. Mm. So this is where justification by faith alone impacted his view of baptism. Yeah. Moved away from the ex opera operato and there had to be faith as the instrumental element. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. And I mean, this is one of those key points where Baptists say a hearty amen. Mm-hmm. It's just... I don't understand this part and how we connect it to the, <clears throat> to the next part. That's, exactly. that's, that's the problem. Right. That's yeah. where you are asking too much. It's not about understanding. It's about mystery. <laughs> just, uh, just, just think consubstantiation and you'll have There's that you mystery card. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like to pull that mystery card a multitude of errors. Yeah, exactly. Does, yeah. Yeah. So, All right. So um, here's the nature of baptism for Luther. So, Luther sees baptism as God's word in water. So drawing on Ephesians 5.25. And in his small catechism, which is his clearest statement on baptism, he clarifies the nature of baptism in the best way. And he says that the water in baptism is not plain water. It's water joined to God's word by God's command. That baptism brings about the forgiveness of sins, redeems from death and the devil, and gives eternal life to all who believe. He doesn't mean baptismal regeneration, the patristic view where water automatically uh, does stuff, but faith trusting in the word of God that comes with and in the water. So there's the consubstantiation mm-hmm. element. He sees the significance of Adam being that the, uh, of baptism being that the old Adam and all of its desires in us is drowned by daily repentance and that a new person arises daily to live for God. Mm. So this is where the tension comes in Luther's view. <clears throat> it's that ongoing repentance Yeah, so it's it's been pointed out that Luther, on the one hand, sounds like a Catholic, and then on the other hand, he seems to have a very unique element. So this is where he sounds like a Catholic in his lecture on Psalm 110. He says this, You can see the water of baptism as you can see the Jew, and you can hear the external or spoken word, but you cannot see or hear or understand the Spirit or what he accomplishes thereby. That a human being is cleansed in baptism and becomes a saint in the hands of the priest, so that a child of hell... He has changed into a child of God. Nevertheless, this is truly and actually accomplished. One has to say in view of the power which attends it, that the Holy Spirit was present at the event and was making believers by means of water in the word. So in the hands of the priest, a child of hell becomes a child yeah, of God. Well. And that sounds very Catholic, doesn't it? Uh-huh. It sounds very Catholic, but it's not, it's, not, it's not absolutely beyond the shadow of a doubt. You know, like... The, like there are some, there's some language there that I would, I would choose to word differently to avoid misunderstanding. But 
I mean, let's say that was at a kind of Reformed Baptist church by a pastor you knew. You probably wouldn't freak out at that point. I mean, apart from the priest stuff, obviously, that would be weird in the Baptist church. But, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the, in a sense, even when you're saying something like somebody becomes a saint. Right, or, right, right, right. Yeah, you know, that's what you're like saying. Like that yeah. is what it symbolizes. You know, yeah. so there, there is a so we we, we mean that you visibly, died and you rose again. He probably yeah. means it's something more internally. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah, but uh, there's something that beyond <clears throat> simply the language is the point that I was trying yeah. to make. Yeah, granted, you know. granted. Mm. So, that, so how do how do we reconcile these thoughts in Luther, where faith, not the water, saves, and yet by the water and the word working together, you become a saint. How do you how do you bring these two things together? And so this is how Lutheran scholars, and I think Fesco, to give him credit here, he asks Lutherans what Luther meant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he's drawing on a lot of Lutheran scholars to allow, you know, the Lutheran camp to interpret Luther. And the whole and, time uh, he had um, he had Horton, though. He could have just gone to Horton. <laughs> <laughs> is that a dig at Horton? Uh, or is that a... <laughs> yeah, I, will, <laughs> I will let you, you answer that question. <laughs> All right, so, so this is what he says. He says, unlike his Roman Catholic contemporaries, Luther did not view baptism as one distinct and definite event. So this is where the daily thing comes yes, in. Yes. But rather as lifelong, as stated in his small catechism, a daily repenting and a daily rising of the new man. In other words, not everything Luther attributes to baptism is brought about at the precise moment of the administration of the rite. Now, even that is quite similar to later reform thinking, mm, isn't mm, it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd have the application yeah. of the sign, and then as you believe later on, yeah. what the sign represents uh, yeah. comes, comes into play. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's some parody there. Unlike the Roman Catholic view, which held that a person was regenerated at the moment of baptism as the sacrament functioned ex opere operato, Luther believed that the effects of baptism and the moment of, of administration are not necessarily linked. Mm. So... Right. Here, what we're watching here is we've seen the medieval view, we've seen the Roman Catholic view, and now we're seeing with the dominance of justification by faith alone how Luther is reworking Mm. theology almost as if for the first time away from the patristic uh, Mm. era. So, I mean, I don't know if any of us would have had the mind to do it as he did. Exactly. He's a pioneer at this point. An important point, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. you know, and, and you've got to give him props for that. I mean, oh my goodness, wow, just what creativity and and uh, nuance and, you know, just, it's incredible. You see what caliber of theologian he was. And he's dealing with, you know, I mean, this is what theologians do. They deal with problems, you know, and they, and they try and work it out in ways that are, you know, um, in sync with their basic framework. And, you know, he, he he's doing that, but it's just that it seems so foreign as you look back on it now. Well, to us anyway. Mm. Yeah, the true, sure. the true heirs of the Reformation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but you realize the impulse. Yeah, I mean, I, it, Luther, like you know, all those criticisms about Luther being a bit of a psycho. Like, it, it must have been true to an extent because, like, he must have. Because everything in me just wants to say, like, look, don't argue with the big boys. You know, who do you think you are? Like, when someone like when someone like Tom Wright comes along and starts to say, oh, you know, Luther and the reformers get wrong. My instinct is to say, like. Bro, don't mess with them. You know, no, no, you, you know what you, you do, bro. You know what you do when you hear about Tom Wright. You just go, I, I meet your Tom Wright with one Lee Irons. <laughs> and yeah, that's true. Le- yeah. Legit, bro. He wrote his PhD yeah. dissertation on it. And uh, Tom Schreiner yeah. actually recently reviewed that sucker and said, All right, there we go. The benchmark has yeah. now been set. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, now, now anyone who wants to deal with it has to go through Lee Irons. That's the bottom I line. I see your yeah. Tom Wright and I raise you. <laughs> 
So you don't you don't have to think for yourself, but you just have to know a better scholar, is what I'm saying. Yeah, well, well, that's it. But but I mean, I think that's the thing that makes Luther so unique because he was just basically going against the grain of every single heavyweight theologian before him. And I just think you do have to have a particular kind of like confidence, brutish. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think he did. He did obviously get some impetus from the early patristics and um, you know from Augustine and so forth. And so I think where you know he was dealing in large measure with excess from that point on. And so you know I think a lot of what gave him his confidence was that he's he's reforming to the earlier view rather than completely innovating. Uh, which I think would have probably drove, driven him crazy. But even so, I mean, he's adding his own twist the whole way through, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then, uh, so then Luther, this whole notion of daily repentance and daily rising is what, you know, the whole concept of returning to your baptism. Mm-hmm. So that's that's very Lutheran in its, yeah. in its origins. Yeah. You just keep going back to your baptism. And uh, your baptism. baptism never becomes useless unless you despair yeah. and refuse to return to its salvation. So this is... Do you pray this to your is, baptism? This is the way he speaks. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mike, you ask your baptism to pray for you. Okay, got it. <laughs> no, but uh, hang on. So, so Luther, when he's thinking about baptism, he, is he thinking about bapt- he's thinking about baptism as a one-time event, obviously, because he's not yeah. into rebaptizing. But, but it's he's also keeps saying, on giving. Yeah. So, so baptism is symbolic not of a moment, but of the whole Christian life. I think it's of, of yeah. the word itself, the promise itself, right? So yeah. basically, you know, as you would, as we, basically the way I translate it in my mind is whatever you do with the gospel, you know, as yeah. you go back to the gospel and trust in it yeah, again, yeah. and you just do that with your baptism 100% because yeah, it is the yeah. word, you know. Uh, but this 100%. is why I think, yeah. this is why I think that whole, the, the criticism of Luther, you know, being, sort of in contradiction with justification by faith alone and then having a baptism that kind of kind of regenerates. Um, I, I, I think that <clears throat> there, is a, there is a criticism there, but it isn't really for me at, at the bat- level of baptismal regeneration itself because actually if he's just saying baptism is the gospel, like mm-hmm. it's the gospel preached visibly mm-hmm. and that, you know, you receive it by faith and therefore it does something, has an effect. Yeah. That yeah. isn't... <clears throat> He's trying that to get away from really a mechanical sort of of as, 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 I, as I listen to Lutheran baptism, there's the, sort of the, the thing that sticks out for me is penance. Hmm. Your yeah. daily repentance plays the same functional role as, you, as penance did in the Roman Catholic scheme. And yeah. so there seems there's still some medieval thing going on there. Um, right, right, right. So, so he's still kind of flogging himself, but not with whips. <laughs> so baptism just comes in in the place of penance. Right, so okay. it, it is. It is. It's the daily uh, repentance is and 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 through, through by which you mean it's there as a way of, of sort of proving your your earnestness to God. No, no, no. I don't. Uh, not 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 returning it in terms of works, but re, you know, returning to. He he talks about returning to the power of your baptism as a type of penance. Mm, right. You know, you you go back to your baptism and you re-repent and you re-rise and you re-experience a washing and a dying. And it's this, and it has a renovating power. So there's a power moment. There's a, it's still sacramental in its efficacy as you return to it daily. So you, you dry baptisms, <laughs> a dry sacramental baptism by remembering it. So there's, there's, there's still a, a power thing going on, mm. which I'm, I don't think that's connected quite... to the baptism as a. 
So you know what's interesting about that where's for me, the, though? Where's the, what was your point of connection with the penance thing? I just we would say if we because if if we if we use the language of returning to your baptism, we would say we we're returning to the gospel. Mm-hmm. But he would say, well, you, the baptism the, there is a power in the baptism that you're returning to. Right. So he's still he's still linking the the word and the water together. Mm. So we would return just to the word, to the gospel, but he links the word and the water. So and he's still crediting and think, um, baptism with power, not yeah. just merely the gospel with power. Yeah, totally. Mm. And almost what you have there is nearly, not quite, but nearly what differs from Kelvin and Luther, you know, uh, in that he's just removing it that one step further, the the sign and the thing signified. But um, And we'll get there yeah. soon enough. But the other thing is what's interesting about this, this is what always gets me about the whole uh, Luther thing, in that, you know, if you've been baptized, probably you were baptized as an infant, you know, in a Lutheran setup. And, you know, you don't have anything to return to. Mm. What, what memory? What it's, memory? It's... You only have your memories of you've seen other people get baptized, you know? Now, I guess that... your parents that they <laughs> baptized. <laughs> I could, might not have. Ha- Tell even me again, happened. was I baptized? Describe it. <laughs> just, just what did it feel like? Give me a description. Yeah, yeah exactly. And yeah. you just. I you don't never... know what it feels like. I was baptized as an infant as well. It's so yeah. funny because it's like. So everyone... the visible word aspect just seems to drop dead at that point. I know. Yeah. And so that's why that's why I always say, like, if, if he was baptized, it would be the most powerful thing ever because he's basically saying you know, return to that moment, you know, which, you know, yeah. let's be honest, when you're getting, well, I remember getting dunked in freezing cold water and I remember it forever, you know, and it's just, I remember something... being baptized as Greg. What? <laughs> <laughs> so I had a guy called Greg, read a scripture, I had another guy called Greg pray for me. <laughs> thank you, Greg. Thank you, Greg. And now Greg, I baptize you in the name of all the Son and Holy Spirit. So I got renamed as Greg. It's actually my other name. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Oh my goodness, that's like a whole other theological problem. The irony of this is that oh you might not be baptized. Yeah, is your baptism even valid? I don't it's even the know. whole christening thing. I've actually been rechristened. I'll give you a, but I just I just read the book of Revelation and it says I'll give you a new name. And so I just took it as that. Wow. Yeah. I'm gonna have to edit that part out. This is gonna blur our credibility. <laughs> <laughs> that is next <laughs> level, bro. Wow. <laughs> All right. I told Defense. you, you tell Nick a story, he's always got a better story. That's how it works. <laughs> but, um, now, but, you know, just, just on this point before we move on quickly, um, with Luther, you know, I think that it, it seems like, and this will follow on through to the general Peter Baptist thing, and the way they talk in this way, the sacramental way, this is, I think, a big point. And this is, this is one of the reasons I, I can... I think of myself as 100% reformed Baptist, right? Because I'm just hearing everything they're saying and saying, amen, except I can mm. do it as a Baptist. That's the only difference. Yeah. I can actually yeah. put it into practice. It works better. Whereas, yeah. you know, you almost, the image I get is that everyone, as we were just saying, it's like no one's actually experienced the thing. Everyone's going on what, uh, it's not mm. even that they, they have, they can look at another person's experience, but yeah. it's like everyone's walking around blind, relying on whatever, what someone has said sight is, and no one's actually, you know, it's it's really kind of a weird scenario as generations unfold, and you don't really have anyone that's actually been baptized. It's it's really quite a crazy yeah. Uh, yeah. dynamic. Yeah. Anyway, so just throw that in there before we. No, on. that's good. Yeah. So that um, and he'll come back to that in a moment. But uh, so coming to his defense of infant baptism, so Luther, of course, wrote against the Radical Reformation, and uh, his book's called Concerning Rebaptism, which was written in 1528. And he puts forward four lines of argument in defense of infant baptism. Hmm. So the first line of argument is the fact that it's a divine command that infants should be baptized. Hmm. 
Mm. And what he means is Great Commission. Great Commission was given to all nations. Yeah. And so you, you as a Baptist are scratching your head because I think, you're thinking, I think that's Where's pretty flawless logic, personally. <laughs> if you believe in national churches, it's one hundred percent flawless. If there's the and, Church of Germany and the Church of Scotland and the Church of Holland. It's and true. one of the particularly mind blowing points there is that he was like the two kingdom guy, you know? And and the whole thing is um <laughs> Christendom. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he Luther talk about creativity. You know, here's a whole nother thing. He developed two kingdoms within Christendom. So you could be both Christendom and two kingdoms, <laughs> just so you know. That's another podcast, but still, Paradox. it's quite profound. There you go. Quite profound. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, in response to the Anabaptist view and uh, Mark 16, 16, which we probably wouldn't refer to because it's in the longer ending of Mark, mm-hmm. says, he who believes and is baptized. He said that the Anabaptists who say that no one should be baptized until they believe commit a great presumption because... They cannot be sure that someone has believed before they get baptized. However, in distinction from the Anabaptists who argued for the necessity of faith, Luther affirmed that baptism could in no way be based on faith. Luther writes, there is quite a difference between having faith on the one hand and depending on one's faith and making baptism depend on faith on the other. Hmm. So that's, that's, that's what he tries to do in that point. So for Luther, Wait, say that point again. Say it again. Say it again. <clears throat> okay. There is quite a difference between having faith, mm-hmm. which is the view Luther believes, mm-hmm. and depending on one's faith and making baptism depend on faith on the other. Mm-hmm. So if you're saying that you have to believe before you get baptized, you're making baptism depend upon faith. Right. So he's which saying would be you're, you're almost turning you're faith into a the, type of work. Yeah. And you're making the, the promise of the gospel depend on faith rather than faith depend on the promise of the gospel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you often hear Lutherans talk like that and that what could be more, you know, indicative of sovereign saving grace? What is more passive than an infant, you know, being baptized, um, showing a, a corpse? <laughs> <laughs> obviously. <Wow>. Obviously. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Shut down. No chance of getting <laughs> That's right. fantastic. Good. Finished. A corpse, Mike. That's the answer. A corpse. Answer. <laughs> Don't ask stupid questions, Mike. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what's more indicative, Mike. <laughs> All right. I love his second point. Church tradition. Church tradition. Yes. So Luther could not accept that the church had wrongly practiced infant baptism for hundreds of years. And if the Anabaptist view was correct, then the church did not truly exist. So what we're looking at here is his definition of church. And although he did distinguish the visible from the invisible when fighting against the Roman Catholics, here he's collapsing the visible with the invisible. Mm. He writes this. Luther writes, if the first or child baptism were not right, it would follow that for more than a thousand years, there was no baptism or any Christendom, Mm. which is impossible. Yeah, and this, this, this argument gets thrown around still. I mean, this is like a big one for people, you know? Well, I, I, if I'm honest, I do struggle with this. I think this is why I find it so hard to say to... It's why I have open membership, basically. You know, you can be baptized. You can be a, a, an infant Baptist and be part of a, a member of the church because, um, well, it's different views of membership, but also what, one of it, 
one of the things is that I just find it so difficult to say that all of the other baptisms are false baptisms, hey, I even a... though they've been practiced in a way that I think is, you know, not orthodox. So Irregular, um, just irregular baptisms. Yeah, it, it. Irreg they're irregular baptisms, but not false baptisms. Well, okay, so uh, just and a quick question. I wouldn't re-baptize them. Just a quick question. On, it's on not re-baptism because they weren't baptized. Yeah, I see yeah well, that, we yeah, but that's my point. Thank you. Thank you for making my point. There, uh, that's, so what you, I have, that's what I have difficulty saying I'm glad because you of this you. argument. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so the, the, the force of this argument takes me that far. It makes well, me see, want to I say, think here's, here's the weakness in this argument for me is firstly the concept of Christendom. So you have national, external, outward churches. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. this, like Israel. And uh, so that's the first problem. The second problem is that... Um, He's collapsing the visible with the invisible because you are a Christian, even if you aren't baptized. Sure, the visible thing is the water gets muddied or the definition of the church is muddy, but the, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The church will always exist. There's the, in, the doctrine of the indestructibility of the church stands mm. and doesn't depend, doesn't rest, doesn't stand or fall on the doctrine of baptism. Yeah, and just you know, just to insert something on that point, because I think this is so big because you got primary, secondary, and I think we've mentioned the other day you got these tertiary issues, you know, at, at some level. But it just because it's the definitive who's in, who's out thing, it it becomes more elevated than perhaps it uh, we would treat other doctrines on this point. But you know, like you think about all the things that the church has had to get right over the years, you know, um, mm. uh, we just take justification. <laughs> You know, let's start with like an average doctrine, like justification. Christ, yeah. I mean, wow, you know, Anselm and on is really where you start hitting that. So what do we say about the church then? Is there no church because there's no doctrine of, you know, we well, just some, don't process Some fundamentalist like Baptist would say there wasn't. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And I think I think what we have to, the way that we resist we that disagree. logic yeah. is the way that we resist that logic with this issue. You know, it's a doctrine that was not you know, it's been wrestled with. It's been, you know, uh, sometimes inappropriately administered, sometimes wrongly understood. What does that mean? It just means that the church hasn't understood everything all the time in every yeah. single way. And thank God we're not saved by our understanding, but, yeah. but by Amen. Christ. Yeah. And so yeah. the spirituality of the church, the indestructibility of the church, the, in, the, the invisible nature of the church, these are the doctrines which are, I guess, Rise to the fore for me on this issue, and for me, this is would, one of the weak. This for me, this is the weakest argument. Would 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 Luther be making the point though that people were would not be saved apart from baptism? No, so he's just saying Christendom wouldn't know. exist. He's he's saying here that Christendom wouldn't exist. So and then he he quotes from the Apostles' Creed: "I believe in one holy Christian church would be false if the Anabaptists are right." <clears throat> for over a thousand years, there would hardly be any other but child baptisms. If this baptism is wrong, then for that long period, Christendom would have been without baptism. And if it were without baptism, it would not be Christendom. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Bring it. Yeah. Let's not have Christendom. <laughs> no. <laughs> totally. Totally. You, good point. Yeah. Thanks for winning my I argument. Think, I think me. on the actual, like, whether the church itself existed, though, I mean, uh, you know, invisibly, I think he would take a similar line of reasoning to Augustine on that point. You know, we've, you've got that, that idea of, um, you know, both are ideal, but 
it's not it's it's not yeah. that it depends on the one or the other you know but but augustine even drift his drift was towards associating the invisible with the visible so apart from the church there is no mm. salvation mm. exactly yeah. Mother yeah. Church. Okay. The, the concept of mother church is a drift towards collapsing mm. the two mm. you see i guess i was thinking about less in terms of in christendom and more into so the, a, a common contemporary sort of like Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox or even Lutheran criticism yeah. uh, today is that basically, are you saying that something as basic as baptism in the Christian faith has not been understood until the 17th century? Are you really saying that? You know, and I guess that... Like justification for the first uh, 15 Well, years. yeah, I know, and I get that. But I <laughs> guess what, what I'm saying is it's just whether or not you draw a kind of hard line and say, no, it's been misunderstood. Now it is for the first time being clarified. Or yeah, or, or just kind of, you know, the no. church hasn't really fought that battle yet. Now it's fighting that See, battle. See, now that, that's, I think, the value of the study right on that point. Because, you know, what we're saying the whole time is, no, no, there, there were parts that have been understood, you know. And there yeah. are these ideas and themes that are just there and right and correct, and we would affirm them all the way through. It's yeah. you know, so what what is the doctrine of baptism? Is it just the actual moment and administration of subjects and mode? You know, it's more than that. It's the it's the sign. It's the it's the sacramentology mm -hmm. behind it. It's the you know mm -hmm. the, the whole apex of theology working its way through that lens. And so I think you know what we're picking up here is we're going amen, amen. We're seeing a little bit of a progress. We're, and all of that is affirmed. So it's not like we're mm -hmm. just saying it's out of you know they were doing this 180 degree different thing and then all of a sudden you know 1689s come along with a face cloth and but a bing the rest is history you know well here's here's i think the important point for me every single theologian throughout the whole church affirmed this thing that every adult believer who professes faith yes. should be baptized and immersion is preferable yes. Mm -hmm. yes that was never denied all the way through i know mm -hmm. it wasn't practiced but it was never denied. Everyone agreed that that's probably the best way to do it. But because we've got kids and we don't want to drown them, and look, we've got to, got to get original pollution removed, so let's do it early, and, 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 and all these other anomalies crept in. The, the one thing that is consistent is the theological assertion that all adult believers ought yeah. to be baptized by immersion. That's a great point. And there's that... All, all, all confessing believers ought to be baptized by immersion, not just adults. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's quite an astounding level of unity, actually, if you think about it in, in light of yeah. other doctrines. So it could be affirmed as quite a basic thing. You know, what else do we have that we can say that about? You know, um, the Trinity, maybe. But even that was like a bit shaky until 300. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's a good point. Yep. Yeah. Cool. All right. Then uh, the third uh, <clears throat> pillar of uh, Luther's defense of infant baptism talks about the sign of the covenant. Luther sees baptism as a sign of the covenant for those from all nations as circumcision was assigned to Israel. So Luther employs the covenant concept in his exegesis in Genesis 17, 3 to 6. Um, so if inclusion in the, in the kingdom, justification, was brought about with the Jews in the Old Testament through the medium of circumcision, why would God not do the same thing with the Gentiles through the medium of the new covenant, uh, of, the new covenant of baptism? Mm. The command pertains to all, hence whereas circumcision was commanded only to the descendants of Abraham, baptism is commanded to all the nations with the promise of salvation if they believe. Mm. Answer? Because So he goes from one nation to all nations. He just expands the just national expands concept. And Instead I'm of appearance in their seed, yeah. he's just going national on this thing. Yeah, this is wrong for the same reason that we don't, uh, you know, administer the sign on the male reproductory organ. 
Yeah. You know, for the sake of bringing about a lineage that brings about the Messiah. You know, th- this is this is the thing. Now, the, pos- the positive thing in Luther's argument is the fact that he is seeing a unity between Old and New Testament, sign and sign, mm-hmm. circumcision and baptism. Yep, so, yep, yep. so there's a there's a way of reading the Bible that we could tap into there, but just his overarching argument about nation- nations mm. um, would be bad. Mm-hmm. But again, it's interesting. If he had read this, if he didn't have the kind of, like if, if the Anabaptists weren't around at this point mm. and he was looking into that symbolism, I mm. wonder if he would have arrived at a different conclusion because he's obviously going there. He's looking at that connection between mm. circumcision and baptism in order to make a point about and that must have had a bearing on yeah. his thinking so yeah. you kind of wonder if he if he had been in a more kind of i don't know like a vacuumous mm. context and he'd been given a bit more time i wonder if he would have you know he would have gone a bit further oh he would have been his... a baptist for sure i mean he's a baptist yeah. now he is now yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know with with owen and all the rest of the guys climb you know, <laughs> yeah. we know it's one of the first things you realize when you get to heaven mm. yeah. dang nabbit mm. baptists were right <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Only Baptists are in heaven because everyone becomes Baptist. <laughs> that make a good oh, T-shirt. Man. We should do that. That should be a two-edged sword T-shirt. That's right. Get it to be a Baptist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So then the fourth pillar is fetus infantium. Oh. Infant faith. Yeah. So in early in Luther's early ministry, fifteen eighteen to fifteen twenty one, he he continued to practice the medieval notion of fetus aliana which is the faith of another, the faith mm. of the church, or the faith of the parent. Mm. But from 1525, and this is where the Anabaptists started rearing their heads publicly, he began to speak of fittus infantium. Mm. Um, and he developed this idea yet, and here's, here's the nuance in Luther, he allowed himself to be wrong. Mm. So he, he did clarify himself quite clearly saying, look, this is what I think, but hey, I could be off the mark. Mm. And the reason that's important is because later Lutheranism sort of doubled down on it and said, this is, this is, this is true. And so they had less nuance than Luther himself had. So, um, so he says this, even if he thought infants did not have faith by the spirit when the gospel was proclaimed, he would do it anyway out of conscience because this was the practice from apostolic times. And uh, so, so as the as the gospel is being preached through the visible uh, word, faith is imparted in the infant. That was his basic belief. So, mm-hmm. faith wrought by the Spirit. So, he has a, a very monergistic act. This mm. is God miraculously working. This is the yeah. you, know, you mentioned earlier yeah. the passive yeah. aspect yeah. where God is doing His monergistic work. Do you believe in monergism? Are you truly reformed? You know, um, and this is this is where they would really press that point. And that's where we need to have that answer. A corpse, ready? Why do you get baptized the dead? Yeah, like it says in Corinthians. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Luther fell shy of fully affirming that every infant received faith when the gospel was proclaimed at their baptism, but Melanchthon and those who followed did not. Yeah. Uh, however, Melanchthon writes this: It is certainly true that in all adults, repentance and faith are required, but it is sufficient to hold this regarding infants, that the Holy Spirit is given to them through baptism and effects in them new affections, new inclinations toward God in proportion to their condition. Mm. So the Holy Spirit is given to them in baptism. And, and then, Was and that Melanchthon or Luther? Sorry. Melanchthon. And he's saying, but no faith. 
not necessarily faith. Well, he would say new inclinations toward God in proportion to their condition. So that's where slot faith in there, whatever faith looks mm. like, which is relevant to their that sounds age like and faith. ability. I was thinking that sounds yeah. like spirit-brought yeah. faith. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So, yeah. So what's, what's happening here is Melanchthon's doubling down on it and he's concretizing it where Luther is more nuanced and not sure. And so it seems that Melanchthon did tie regeneration to the baptism of infants, and other Lutheran theologians are then quoted to show that this, this continued. So mm -hmm. John uh, Johann Bayer wrote this, mm -hmm. For faith is at first conferred upon and sealed to all infants alike by baptism. Yeah. And this faith, and by this faith, the merit of Christ is applied to them. So they receive the imputation of Christ's righteousness by faith, which is given to them in their baptism. Hmm. It's crazy. It's, it's sounding more and more like sacerdotalism, you know, as we go <laughs> down the road again, you know. It's just, it's, it's, it's a syncretism between sacerdotalism and justification by faith alone. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What but a trip. I guess, because the, 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 the possibility, I have no problem. I agree. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I, have no, I have no problem with the idea of infants having faith. So, we do no problem. Yeah, sovereign. Yeah, yeah, I just, I just, it's the fact that it's brought about by baptism rather than being in baptism being given to them when you can judge a credible profession. Like I think that's the only difference. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but they could, well, be, you could be a believer a long time before your baptism. Yeah, it doesn't. You know. And we would, and we, because they would use the the example of uh, John the Baptist. Yeah. But we would say God could providentially do that sometimes. But they're oh. saying he they they're saying he does it every time. Yeah. In yeah. baptism. In baptism. And yeah. We're definitely taking issue with that. Yeah. I mean, right. yeah, it distracts you as loophole theology, right? They're looking for it. They're just trying to find a way to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not yeah. a good use of John the Baptist at that point, I don't think. But uh, in in um in in Anglican pedobaptism, um there there's this thing where Basically, the, the infant basically g gains no benefits other than being part of the external church mm. community, mm. right? But does gain a huge amount of responsibility. So suddenly, if you walk away from your baptism, you're liable to be, you know, to have the pants judged off of you because you've rejected the gospel. You put into but a it doesn't work works. the other way around. <laughs> so I'm thinking, like, it's just not worth the risk because... Yeah. You get none of the benefits. You get all of the possible, you know, judgments mm. if you reject it. And so why would you even do that? At least here, <clears throat> at least here, you're, get, you're getting both sides of the coin, you know. Yeah. Like you are getting the, the, the regeneration, you know, yeah. see yeah. where the risk comes <laughs> in. But, but I think for most, for most Reformed guys, you know, outside the Lutheran camp, we'd recognize, no, it's a problem to say that faith comes automatically with every baptism of every infant. I think every, most Reformed people would, would struggle that. Mm. And, um, and yet would say things like, but if they walk away from their baptism, they will be, you know, judged yeah, to yeah. a higher standard. So I think, I think they would probably, they'd probably drill down into the fact that there are benefits. They would want to push back and say, no, there are definitely benefits to being part of the visible covenant. They get to hear the word. They get to observe. Yes. They get, you know. Yeah. But basically, they all come down to being amidst the covenant people rather than actually yeah. receiving a spiritual benefit. Yeah. 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 So it's almost like the visible church is old covenant, and then the internal aspects 
yeah, is that's, the remnant going forward. That's the new covenant. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that. Yeah, that is exactly. So. So. Um, there we go. So the, uh, he adds a few more nuances here, talking about the typological and uh, stuff like that. So Luther did see the Red Sea as a type for baptism, as well as the flood. Mm-hmm. And the absence or presence of faith made it a killing or a preservation of life. So judgment or living. So, I mean, uh, one of the views of Luther is that, you know, that the whole warning aspect of the Lord's Supper, that you eat judgment to yourself if you don't partake with faith. You know, and if you partake with faith, it's blessing. Cursing or blessing, Mm. depending on whether there's faith or not. So faith's there. <laughs> but whoa, if there ain't no faith. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and then that that's that's going to become a, a theme that's going to carry yeah. on all the way yeah. through. I was about to say, yeah. yeah. Which Before is what theology. they said for baptism as well. Yeah. But now just are trying to connect it to the practice of infant baptism. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, it gets so trippy at that point for me. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Fesco notes that Luther preferred immersion, but practice pouring. So, okay. you know. If, if you had to ask Luther, what is the proper mode of baptism? Immersion, but practically mm-hmm. pouring. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- I think we all suspect that the f- this flexibility with regards to mode was out of consideration of the infant mm-hmm. um, and probably tradition and practice up to this point, mm-hmm. um, just leaning on others who had been indifferent. <clears throat> so, yeah. Mm. So in conclusion... Luther differed from Rome in their ontological impartation of saving and sanctifying grace, seeing the water as an instrument of grace. Mm -hmm. Rather, he viewed it in light of word and promise. Baptism did bring grace, but not not all at once. And in this way, it was a perpetual testimony to the believer, which they returned to again and again. Good. Although they didn't ever experience it. (laughs) So they never returned to it. They never really they returned. It's not a visible word. This is the imaginary word. Yeah. <laughs> they have to imagine it. All right. All right. There we go. You can tell we're a little bit biased. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you? Anyway, you got to do what you can. You know, you try and understand. But this is, wow, that's crazy. What's important, Mike, is to acknowledge your bias. I think you know? so. Yeah. There you go. Uh, I'm biased. <laughs> <laughs> it's another T-shirt. <laughs> that's another t-shirt that we should put on the market i am biased um all right good well that's i think we did good work here today i mean that was a whole chapter one guy not quite nick's uh, great ambitions but but uh you know <laughs> one third of my ambition <laughs> one third one third is better yeah. than no third that's what i say <laughs> and uh we'll hit baptism in zwingli and a baptist is where it starts getting interesting for another baptist. t-shirt one third is better than no third. <laughs> oh, we're, right. yeah. we're on a roll. What's tonight. more passive than a third? <laughs> uh, Anabaptist coming up after that, and then we'll get to um, what is it, Kelvin afterwards? Yeah. So that's yeah, Kelvin's a goodie. And then yeah. we could probably skip uh, Reformed Orthodoxy. That's the period. No. No. You don't want to skip that one? No, no I don't. No. So, uh, yeah. Palandus and Wolibius totally. and Ames we need and to look 39 at that. articles. Yeah, just a quick skim, not like a, <laughs> not like an in-detailed thing. Yeah. Just, I mean, it's, 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 it's quick thoroughly in three episodes. Yeah. 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 Quick skim <laughs> thing, like just how, however it turns out, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, then we'll roll through. Then we're on to the big stuff. Then we're on to the, the Bible. That's where we want to be. Good. All right. Who's singing us out today? Uh, you, Andre. Andre. <laughs>
Your turn, Mike. Are <laughs> right, you ready? <laughs>